As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. G'day, welcome to the show. It's better than yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. And over the last few years, happy new year. Is it happy new year yet? I don't even know. Over the last few years, I have brought you an annual episode all around ideas. This time of year is just, just what I do. It's an episode, well, not just one episode, it's turned into lots of episodes now. It's just an episode based around possibility. Ideas that I've had across the year, I make notes of them and I write them down. I go, I'm going to save that for that episode, for those episodes. It just, it's just from literally just a different way of looking at things. Because I'm fascinated by possibility and I'm fascinated by creativity I'm fascinated by interesting combinations of previously uncombinated things. Don't know if those are words now, but they are. And just seeing what can happen when you put stuff together that hasn't been put put together before and finding outcomes that otherwise we might not have experienced. Started with 20 ideas for 2020. It was a very quick list. It's grown quite a bit since then. The first six and a bonus one, and you can find on last week's episode, but... We must push on. I present to you 24 ideas for 2024, idea number seven. Teach cycling survival skills like we teach swimming survival skills in schools. All right? You did it. I did it. I remember blow, look, listen, feel. I remember swim and survive. I remember finding the edge of the pool. And they had to do it because in Australia in the early 1900s, there was a growing awareness of water safety because drowning was a significant cause of death, particularly among children, which is difficult on an island nation where there's just water everywhere. And it's about then you started to see surf life-saving clubs and things like that start to rise up. And sure enough, by the 70s and the 80s, it became a part of the school curriculum. If you went to school in Australia, 
part of you going to school, learning what multiplication was, learning about history, learning about how to put an Oxford comma somewhere, that's what happened. They put swimming in school curriculums here in Australia. And we really take it for granted, I think, it started with people losing their lives to drowning, that we went, you know what, we're really going to have to do something about this. We already know how to do it, so let's do it. With cycling, let's make it part of PE that at some point in your schooling life, you will be have access to a bicycle. Maybe it'd be like, I don't know, term two. We're doing cycling for PE. And that's your class's bicycles. They're usually would probably do it the same way that they do charity bikes, where it's, it's the same bike. So the parts are really easy to, to sort out. You can bring an operator in. So someone just shows up with a truck and they go, there's all your bikes. And you teach braking, you teach cornering, you teach being safe around cars, you teach indicating, all this, maybe jumps, I don't know. But implement cycling safety in schools. I was really lucky when we were kids, we got bikes. I think I was eight and my big brother was 10 and we got bikes and we just started fanging around the neighborhood. And we came around a corner and I must've been riding in the wrong part of the road, not looking where I was going. And I, I've got to credit the person in my neighborhood that did this because I think what they did is they followed us home while they drove and saw where we lived. I think the way mum told me is they waited until I was at school and they came around and knocked on the door and they said, listen, the other day I nearly took out your kid. And she was working full time. Uh, dad was working full time. They didn't know, couldn't spend time to do it because they're both working six days a week. And so mum found some summer holiday program all the way on the other side of the city and she sent us there. And I got really lucky because of that because then I had this knowledge of where a stop sign is, what the lines on the road meant. I was eight. How am I supposed to know? how long the lights take to change, understanding how to set yourself up so when the lights change, you can take off pretty well, understanding how much space you need to leave yourself to stop and between cars and how to indicate and all this kind of stuff. Let's get that in schools, man. Let's absolutely get that in schools because, look, once your kid starts to be like, but I really want to ride a bike, I really want to buy for Christmas, and as my bicycles on the road means more pressure to make sure cycling is safe, means more pressure to be sure that drivers understand that, yeah, you know where I'm going with this. It did wonders for our ability to swim and get out in the ocean. I think it would do wonders for our nation to make cycling a part of our education system. Put it there in primary school. I don't know if you're going to put them on a Cyclops BMX that weighed 17 kilos. It was about a third of my body weight at the time. Uh, but uh, I reckon that'd be pretty fun. So 24 ideas for 2024. Idea number eight. I got really struck last year by something that Chanel Contos talked about when she sat right here in my studio. To broaden her way of approaching issues of consent and to apply it elsewhere, I think would be really powerful. The general idea that Chanel brought up is that whenever entitlement outweighs empathy, bad things happen. So wouldn't it be interesting if this year we went to work on our empathy and made it a goal to maintain healthy levels of empathy? There's healthy levels of body fat. There's healthy levels of cholesterol. What about healthy levels of empathy? Now, a way to do this might be to explore a concept known as theory of mind, which happens around the age of four or so. So you attribute, it's the ability to attribute mental states like uh, what you believe in, what you want, how you might be feeling, what you know, what you don't know. You can apply those things not only to yourself, but also to understand that other people 
have different beliefs and different feelings and different ideas and different levels of knowledge uh, that, are, that are different to them. And it's the, it's the separation, essentially, that not everyone knows the same stuff you do and you don't know the same stuff as everybody else. So that's why theory of mind is often discussed in, in the context of child development. But cultivating a stronger theory of mind in adults is really powerful. It's really beneficial, particularly when it comes to enhancing empathy, because that leads to greater social understanding and deeper and, and better and more understanding and healthier interpersonal relationships. So in 2024, the idea would be to work on your theory of mind like you would work on your golf swing or work on your deadlift bar path or work on your backhand or your bottom turns or your travel of Spanish, whatever it is that you're trying to work on this year. Cultivate your theory of mind and work on it regularly. A way to start moving towards this would be perhaps through particularly watching sport. Whenever your team is losing terrible, the scoreline is awful, whether you're watching netball, AFL, football, whatever. Act as if you're a fan of the opposition. Oh, what a bullshit call. Turns into, oh, good call, ref, good call. Oh, no, my God, she got past the defender. Oh, shit, she's going to score. That turns into, yes, she got past the defender like a kebab through a schoolie. She's incredible. Look at the skills she's going to score. So try it as much as you can to describe how brilliant a victory was for the team that you truly dislike. Knowing full well that there are people on the other side of the stadium or watching another TV or another phone, whatever you're watching your sport on. Knowing full well that there's other people who love that team as much as you love yours. Another way that I like to try to do it is when I'm in traffic. I've talked about this on the show before, and it was really transformative. I did this when I was a delivery driver, delivering groceries to pensioners during one of my, one of my slight kind of small jobs I was able to get when I was on the dole. And what I would do, instead of getting angry at them, I would say, you know what? I bet he's really good at other stuff. It might not be driving, but it's probably something that I'm really bad at. And then I would pick something that I wish that I was good at, uh, baking, playing blues harmonica, cursive handwriting, something, anything that something that means a skill or a, a quality that would mean something to me if I had it, but I don't, something that I can connect with. And that way, when I'm like, oh, mate, I'm, I'm sure they are really good at playing blues harp, but today, not very good at indicating, instantly, or the other one I would do is, wow, I really hope that their mum is okay, because it looks like they are in such a rush to get to the hospital, they've forgotten to indicate. Godspeed, mate. Hope you get there on time. And that really helped me not get so affected emotionally by whatever the actions were of the other party, but also have made me really explore what it is to have empathy and, and think about what it might be or what the world might be like for another person that wasn't me. And that would be an idea for 2024, because there's 24 ideas that I want to talk about. And this is idea number nine, 24 ideas for 2024. Here we go. What would happen if we as a community just suddenly decided that Bluetooth speakers were equivalent to how smoking used to be before smokers got kicked out of restaurants and workplaces and pubs and cinemas and planes. Yes, I am old enough that I sat on a plane where people could smoke. So before such a time when smoking was just everywhere, it would be generally accepted that a smoker would ask permission of the people nearby before lighting up. Do you mind if I smoke? That was the question. It was always a loaded question, though, because by the time a person's reaching for a dart, the cravings are at a point where there's a pretty high chance that they might be snappy and possibly would be unhappy with any other answer than, no, please, you go right ahead. Go increase my chances of getting lung cancer from breathing your second hand smokes. What a wonderful gift. Thank you. Um, 
but that's how we used to do it. We, they, w- there was a general societal expectation that the smoker would understand the impact they had on the people around them. Because I remember my first Bluetooth speaker. It was a jawbone jam box, and it was a game changer. Small, was portable, had a lot of bottom end. But as tech got better, as Bluetooth speakers got bigger, soon enough, a PowerPoint is no longer needed to push enough air that you can bring a banging party to anywhere you might be, even drown out the conversation of strangers nearby. And now we're faced with an age-old problem. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. We have all experienced an oppressive Bluetooth incursion in our day. It could be oppressive doof at the beach or someone hiking a trail, blaring Britney Spears. Look, I'm, I'm here to listen to the magpies talk to each other, not Brittany's ode to toxic relationships. Come on, you're in the middle of the bush, put it away. Today, at the gym, which is already a noisy place, there's banging weights, there's clanging things, there's already a PA system there which already plays music, thankfully at a level which isn't too oppressive, but is loud enough that I have to turn up my nerdy politics podcasts in my headphones when I'm lifting weights. But today, one of the trainers who comes in there, he's there every time I'm there, works out with a bunch of different clients, He pulls out a Bluetooth speaker about the size of a a large wine bottle and proceeds to blare early 90s techno. Robin's Show Me Love, boom, boom, da boom, boom, great synth line, amazing. Changed a lot. That song's one of the more influential techno songs of all time. It's a great song, but when it's competing with the music that's already playing in the gym and how loud everyone else now has to talk so they can have a day, Colin, Bruce, but thanks, Bruce. I go to an old man gym, so everyone's called Colin and Bruce. It's just become just becomes a cacophony, not a lot of fun. The idea that I would have, I'd say we take it, a leaf from our experience with smokers. If you're playing music, it's on you to ask everyone who can hear that music, is it okay that I play this? Failing that, change the Bluetooth protocol, lift the connection lockout on every Bluetooth speaker being played in public so that anyone who can hear that speaker gets the chance to play a song that they want to hear and the owner of the speaker can't do anything about it. I know it's petty, but it's an idea. 24 ideas for 2024. This is idea number 10. We have had a year already. We've had a year with fires and with floods. And it's just a glimpse of of what we're looking at in coming decades as the planet gets warmer and warmer. So what would it be like if we finally pulled our fingers out and got seriously serious about what our energy system looks like? There's already things being done in Australia in the area of microgrids, of solar rebates. But It wouldn't be much to pull a couple of levers and fundamentally change the way our country generates and consumes electricity for a start. What if we made the solar feed-in tariff exactly the same as what the current market price is because the the market price fluctuates quite a lot throughout the day. You and I pay, uh, unless you're with Amber, which is one particular energy company, you and I pay a a flat rate. But uh, like in the peak summer months, electricity can go into $80, $100 a kilowatt hour, but bonkers because there's so much demand. What if we made your solar feed-in tariffs, once you have fed in the cost of double your daily supply charge, what if we made the feed-in tariff exactly the same as the market rate? Because it's it's only fair that you you put in double the supply charge because you're paying for the infrastructure from the pole to your home and to the whatever, and then you're paying for the infrastructure from the pole to their home. So why i asked the question why should your electron be worth any less because it was generated 
on your roof. It's exactly the same product. I might be oversimplifying things, I probably am. However, if we're seriously looking at reducing our need to have base load that's generated from coal, surely having more generation available is a thing we want to move towards. And what's the cost of keeping a coal plant running? It can't be cheap. It's not cheap at all. Now, I'm very aware that too much solar going into the grid can be a problem. That's, I understand that. What if we extended the interest-free battery programs, uh, interest-free loans that uh, you can get on buying a battery, both in uh, Victoria and the Northern Territory? Extend that to every state in Australia because energy storage is the key to everything. And if we're able to extend an already functioning microgrid program, the kind of ones that we have both here in Australia, but there's also ones in, in Spain and there's, there's some in Brooklyn, of course, it's, then neighbours who are able to store power during the day can sell their power to people next door or across the street when the sun goes down, maybe at the market rate less 5% to give the neighbours, A, an incentive to buy the power off someone next to them, but also, you know, B, to incentivise the people who are paying down the battery loan. Yeah, why don't you give your neighbours some electrons from just a couple of metres away rather than some electrons from a couple of hundred kilometres away? I'm not suggesting we're trying to do anything that isn't already out there. All these things already exist. Just what would happen if we looked at the same problem as an opportunity and looked at it at a slightly different angle? I think we could do all right. 24 ideas for 2024. We're up to idea number 11, and this is also on the subject of energy. Australia needs to get off using gas for heating and cooking. Uh, we just have to do it. We know all too well how much we're getting screwed on gas prices. So how about we send a signal to those who are screwing us over by stopping using their product altogether? Uh, also, because it's not great to burn gas in, in your house, which I'll talk about in a minute. We're often talking about how Australia can be a renewable energy superpower, but Look, I hear that and I think, look, I'm not Mike Cannonbrooks. I'm not Twiggy Forrest. I'm not going to be a billionaire who's going to become a multi-billionaire because I'm creating some massive green energy product. I don't have access to that kind of capital. I can't participate in this. What if we figured out a way that people like you and I could participate in this enormous transition off of fossil fuels? And stay with me. The idea is that, <laughs> and I said this in a meeting the other day and I'm actually going to say it in public, right? What if there was a not-for-profit company that set up with the sole purpose of transitioning Australia off of gas cooking, off gas heating, off gas hot water. And you and I can invest in this company, and this company, with one phone call, manages the whole transition. Getting you off your gas cooker, getting the thing out of your house, shutting off the line, applying for the rebate if you're in Victoria, hopefully the rest of Australia. But if you're in Victoria, you get a rebate on installing an induction cooktop and, an, and an, a new oven. And then with one phone call, that whole thing happens. And perhaps this company could even offer an interest-free loan, which gets paid off over 10 years because it's not like you're moving out in a hurry anyway. So you could pay off your oven if you wanted to. But what kind of oven? You get a fancy one, but they're usually flat-screen TVs are all made in the same factory. So this company could even import grey-label induction cooktops and install them at cost. They cook just the same as the fancy pants ones. They've got the same stuff inside them. And, and that way... Uh, and the company manages all the contractors and the whole thing. And that way, people like you and I can benefit from Australia. Think of how many homes that is. There's 450,000 homes in Brisbane alone. Uh, I can't imagine how many there are in Melbourne or Sydney, but that's the only number I know about houses in Brisbane. So that's a lot. That's a lot of gas cookers. Um, but it's a way that you and I could benefit from Australia's transition away from fossil fuels. And we're not even talking about the benefits of not having a gas cooker in your house. Getting those things out of the air you breathe is really important. It's no good 
having your kids breathing nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and all that fine particulate matter, it can really mess you up over time. It's been shown to lead to illnesses like asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. It's not great. I don't want that for your kids. You don't want that. I don't want that for me. I will call a not-for-profit, now you're cooking, Australia. Or Australia, now you're cooking. Or something like that. And we all get a chance to invest in it. I'd rather that than seeing ads on TV of mining companies of and it's always the same person in the hard hat and the high views looking at an iPad when there's lots of red dirt and they're at home lighting a stove because they're pretending they give a shit about transitioning away from fossil fuels while raking in billions of subsidized dollars and paying very little tax back to us. Wouldn't it be something if people like you and I could financially participate in the future health and energy independence of our country? Yeah. Okay. 24 ideas for 2024, number 12. What this particular episode of this show and this ideas, you can tell what kind of trip I've been on at this point of the ideas. You can tell what time of year I started to write this stuff. So idea number 12, what if we all worked together to avoid collective narrative collapse? Now, what is narrative collapse? It's something that can happen in a book or a film or happens to a community or to a person. For example, in the film World War Z, Towards the end, suddenly Brad Pitt is holding a gun, like he's been trained how to do it. He's using it and he's clearing rooms and, you know, he's like, well, hang on a second. At the start of the movie, you were a research scientist that didn't know anything about close quarters urban combat, but now it looks like you know how to clear your corners. It's incongruent. And suddenly we don't know what else, we don't know what on earth is going on. I know it's a zombie movie, but, but stuff like that. When it happens to a person, it can be, for example, someone who's been diagnosed suddenly with a very major terminal illness, only a few months to, to live, or, for example, someone who had been involved in a particularly intense religious sect, and then when they start interacting with the world outside of that community, everything that they believe to be true about the world suddenly they can see is shown to be false. And when it happens, people can leave those kind of sects and they get out into the world. But a narrative collapse in a community, that, that's what we've been seeing more and more in our country, not as bad as other countries, I'll give you that, but certainly in the climate conversation over the last 20 years it's happened, certainly with the voice referendum, it's the erosion of shared beliefs and shared values and happens around things usually like national identity or economic prosperity or socially progressive policy, things like that, because once this story about those things starts to fracture, we can't make it decision about how as a country we move forward because there's more than one version of reality that people are basing their decisions on. Things like economic crises or political scandals, or the, the COVID pandemic, perfect example, the Bruce Lehman trial, perfect example. Two situations where there are really strongly believed in very different versions, held people from parts of the public who aren't involved at the pointy end, truly believe a completely different version of what's actually going on. And that is the reality that is being reacted to at scale. And it's really scary because when the dominant narrative in our country collapses, say, for example, the narrative around all kids in Australia deserve access to health, housing, education and safety. When something like that starts to fall apart, what happens? In the space that starts to happen between those competing stories about what we value, that's, that vacuum then can start to get filled with competing narratives, competing ideologies and all kinds of shit gets in there. It's a UN land grab. If we can't agree on the problem that we need to solve and why we need to solve it, absolutely fucked. And so how do we do this? I touched on political advertising 
earlier in a previous episode, but this is an example that takes that concept one step further. Here's the idea, that opposition political parties have final approval over their opponent's political ads, right? For example, when the leader of the opposition runs for PM next election, the leader of the opposition's ads will need to be approved by the current government and vice versa. So what they would hopefully do is make sure that the ads are only really speaking to truth. They probably would make it through the approval process if these ads were needlessly slaughtering another person's character. They probably want to focus more particularly on policy and actual factual outcomes. Even more, these ads, like I talked about in the other episode, these ads are watermarked, they're encoded with a blockchain so they can easily be identified as, as legitimate. We saw way too many fake ads, way too many fake messages, way too many fake memes. Posters printed in AEC Purple, the Australian Electrical Commission Purple, which always reminds me of chemotherapy drugs that for cytotoxic drugs that were always in purple in hospitals. But we saw ads, that political messaging in that purple around electrical places. We saw posters without party logos on them, even though they've been paid for by the parties, too bloody much. We've got a lot of work to do before the next federal election, so let's start talking about this stuff right now. It's an idea. And this brings me to my final idea for this installation of, or this episode. There's more. We're, Christ, we're, this takes us over halfway there. So 24 ideas for 2024, idea number 13. Stretching up for this one. Reinstate free tertiary education in Australia. There, I said it. There are countries in this world who do not have the natural resources that we have, yet they invest very heavily in the intellectual capital of their population. And they do that by providing free university to the people. If you look at the research that comes out of the World Bank, it suggests a humongous, like an 8 to 15% return on investments in primary and secondary education, and potentially even higher for tertiary education. The first country to do this, which in the news at the moment, and there's bicycles involved, it's a wild story. But the first country to do this by offering free university to their people was Finland, the country where I want to be, the fjords. Finland was the very first country to do that. And their global rise to power as a, a, a leader in the world in technology and in, and in innovation is largely attributed to the way that they approach this. They're not alone. Germany, France, Argentina, Norway, Singapore offer free tertiary education uh, to their people. We used to do this in Australia. We did. And uh, it's a bit of a dick move to point out that many of the people who made the decisions to reinstate the fees for tertiary education got their degrees for free. But that's another story. There was obviously a very good reason for reinstating tertiary fees. was economically unsustainable when they were doing it. Over the COVID pandemic, though, we did learn a lot about how how dependent our universities are on full-fee-paying international students. We read a lot about the business models of these educational institutions and how they're structured, how inefficient some of those business models are, particularly with courses that can see a student rack up debt that they'll be trying to pay off with a degree that they can't use in the workplace because the demand for that kind of skill set isn't what it used to be. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't problems to sort out with how we do this. Of course there are. But when I look around the world and I see what impact free tertiary education can have on a population, the outcomes, innovations, the values that the country hold as a whole, the democratic process, I truly yearn for something like that for my kids. I realize I'm a privileged person in where I sit in the community, 
I'm an immigrant. My parents are immigrants. My mum had to, when my mum came, my grandmother came to Australia, she had to become a doctor again. My grandfather had to become a doctor again. But that education, proving getting their doctor degree in Australia, allowed them to give a life to their kids that otherwise everybody else that got off the boat with them probably wouldn't have access to. Because it's long been accepted that education truly is the one thing that is just so powerful in social mobility across economic classes. Think about, like the story of my grandparents is in the line. Think about someone who graduated from uni this year. Their parents came here perhaps in the 90s, even the 2000s. Immigrants from a country that in, in peril and strife, they got barely a high school education. They fled a war zone. And now that young adult is able to contribute to our country in a way that their parents probably want to, but because of the gap in their education, they're unable to. Now, of course, we'd have to take a close look at what courses are provided and make sure that the, the business model is as efficient as possible. But it takes a longer view. I'm talking like, what's the 50-year future, 100-year future of our country rather than the next election cycle? There is a time. There is a time, and it is a time not long from now when the world will no longer want our coal. Now, I love my country. I love my healthcare. love my infrastructure. I really love my Australian Defence Force. I like all of those things, but these things require a strong economy. And an economy based on innovation and intellectual capital, way more nimble than a big quarry with a beach. I promise I'm not saying this to get out of paying Wolfie's incoming hex debt in about 20 years. I promise. But I mentioned Singapore before, right? If you look at somewhere like Singapore, it's barely any, if any, natural resources. It's got a GDP per capita more than double what we have in Australia. And you can't ignore that their immense investment and their huge focus in prioritizing education and talent de development has put them as a nation in an incredible place and in an amazing spot to really face the uncertainty that the world is bringing. If we start now, by the time we get to a point where nobody wants our coal or gas, we'll have way more options than we otherwise would have. For example, if we can invest $250 billion in nuclear submarines so we can have some force projection in our region, which is important, do not get me wrong. If we can do that, we can invest in the people who will hopefully be able to offer diplomatic and trade solutions to resolve any problems between us and our neighbours well before we even have to think about sending those submarines out to sea. When the only tool that you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And while it is very important to keep a hammer handy, it's always good to have many other tools to use to build such things. And education is a key to all. That's a lot in one episode. There's more to come. Boy, oh boy. There's 11 more to come. Uh, but these are the things I wrote down all year long, and I can't wait to tell you all about them. 24 ideas for 2024. We'll be back next week. Uh, got some more big lessons from the, the podcast over the last 12 months as well, which uh, you can check out on Mondays. Let me know what you think. All the contact details are in the show notes. Also details on how to get on the newsletter. Get some freebies there also. Also some upcoming live gigs. All the tickets are there. Thanks so much to Andy Ma on the audio and video post on this one. Thanks to Abby Benno who produced everything. Toe Hider for the music. Ben and Monica for keeping the lights on. Um, if the show brought you value, please share it with someone. Subscribe, comment, rate, share, tell a mate, screenshot, share it. In your, I don't care. Do what you got to do. Look after yourself. Thanks for listening. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. 
Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 